0: What's going on, guys? Zach here. Before we dive into this episode with Michael Foster, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor. The sponsor of today's episode is peacefulfathers.com. That's run by Anthony Migliorino. You can find him on all of his social media at peacefulfathers. He's a man who's talking about peaceful parenting, connecting with your children, and how to be a man who is squared away in your life and how you can pass that on to your children in a healthy manner. No matter where you came from, no matter what upbringing you had, you can break the cycle. You can set your children up for greater success than yourself, which is incredibly appropriate for this episode. Michael Foster brought himself to new heights. He broke the cycle. Members of his family remained behind. Other friends remained behind. But Michael pushed forward, founding his own church, launching his own conference, giving speeches, inspiring thousands of others to push against, you know, the conformity and the the servitude and submission that was coming from government, you know, overreach of authority. Michael Foster pushed hard. In spite of everything that was against him, he kept pushing, kept learning. This episode is fantastic. I learned a lot about him that I didn't know, and I respected him a lot prior to. So that should say everything it can about the man. But when you look at Anthony's content, you look at his mission to help fathers better connect with their children, to set them up for a better future than they had themselves, and you look at Michael's story, you know, you can't help but, but see the The similarity. You can't see the overlap of what happens when someone takes charge. What happens when someone breaks the cycle? You can change lives and not just your own. Enjoy the podcast. Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast, a place where men, families, and the truth have a voice.
1: The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here's your host, Zach Small founder of thefamilyalpha.com, and co-founder of of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work.
0: Welcome to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zachary Small, and today I'm joined by Michael Foster. Michael Foster is a man who I never seem to get enough time with. So we're going to blast through this this resume of his real quick, and then we're going to dive into the meat. You know, and I was telling him before we went live, like, I just never get enough. So this is going to be a podcast that is filled with information. It's filled with one man's journey, you know, his perspective on what's to come. And the expectation is that, again, you don't just listen to this or watch this. You take that information, you apply in your life to get changes. That's the whole point of doing this, to apply the information to change your life for the better. But again, to that quick resume, Michael Foster is a husband, a father of seven, the founder, the founding pastor of East River Church the managing director of It's Good to Be a Man. I came across him and really got to meet him at the 21 convention where we spoke at Patriarchs, and he is next year, so this coming year's uh, chief patriarch, a co-chief patriarch with Phil Foster. So we got Foster and Foster getting after it. But also, on top of that, if that's not enough, Michael is also running the County Before Country Conference. So we're going to dive into all that. Michael, welcome to the show. Yeah, glad to be on finally. So I I don't even know where to begin with you. You know, I I think we should start with why did you end up founding a church? You know, because that's what really piqued my interest into what you're doing is a lot of men speak of change and wanting to be the change. You're doing it.
1: Yeah. So I, this is the second time I've, I've planted a church, which is starting a church from scratch. So the first time I did, it was way back in 2005. I was 25 at the time, very young to be planning a church and I started a church in downtown, urban, uptown, urban Cincinnati. And uh, it, it went well for a while. But what what was interesting, what happened is that by the time I was 28, I thought, you know, I can help these guys get pretty far. But there's a lot I just didn't know. Right. Like uh, I, I didn't really know how to be a father. I was learning. And I realized that I I wasn't able by myself to raise all these men up into the leaders they needed to be. So God had been good to us. I hadn't slept with anyone but my wife. I hadn't stole money. I hadn't said anything I shouldn't have said from the pulpit. And I thought, you know what? We're going to uproot this church and end on a good note. And I'm going to go get some more training and we'll come back and we'll plant a church again in Cincinnati. That was like 12 or that was... 15 years ago, right? So 15 years ago. And we uh, we did that. We went away, uh, spent five years in Indiana, five years in South Carolina. While I was in South Carolina, I went back to seminary and got my seminary degree. And I worked as an associate pastor, always with an eye to come back to Cincinnati. I'm from southern Indiana across the Ohio River, uh, right by Cincinnati. My wife grew up on the east side. But I always had a love for the country. I grew up with my grandmother, part of my life in Osgood, Indiana, 1100 people, very small town, on a farm with chickens and goats and cows and horses and I wanted to get back to that sort of lifestyle and also uh, people don't people don't care about white trash, right? <clears throat> Uh, pastors don't like there you get intersectional points if you minister to like urban blacks or whatever but I was white trash I grew up above a bar in Lawrenceburg Indiana the prostitutes would service their johns in my backyard my backyard was full of broken beer bottles guys at night would come out. At 2.15, they'd close the bars down there. And always at 2.15, there's some idiots fighting in front of my house. So I'd like lean up against the window with my uh, my BB gun. I'd shoot them while they're fighting. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> they wouldn't know what's going on. But somewhere along the line, uh, I, I became a Christian when I was 17. Mm-hmm. I converted from atheism to uh, Christianity. Uh, I've got a really diverse background. My grandmother's Jewish, and my parents are just kind of normal, agnostic Americans, like a mixture of things. They didn't really take anything serious, but um, but then uh, I I was very thankful that people invested in me. I. I'm the only one of my brothers, I'm the oldest of three to graduate high school, well, only one of all my cousins to get a master's degree, right, to go on and do that. And, uh, and I'm the only one not to spend any time in jail, at least as an adult. I got in trouble quite a bit as a youth and expelled from school and all this. Um, and that was because men mentored me. I always think like the advantages that I've had on so many people is I have numerous friends and fathers. I just do. And I, uh, I'm i very rich in that area. And I have been um, really since I've been 17 years old. So I wanted to go plant a church that would reach people like me, that would love people like me. And if you grew up white trashy poor (laughs) it's it's rough like there's no there's no ambition there's no vision like I think of what I've seen my brothers struggle with is that they're easily satisfied they'll sit on a couch um, they'll get some girlfriend and they'll have all sorts of drama but they're happy as long as they get to drink and play some video games and they'll they'll be happy to work for a while as you know, changing oil and then they get drunk and, you know, it's just, there's no, it's death, man, that life, there's no vision, nothing bigger. And I'm always telling people the problem with so many men isn't that they have ambition. (laughs) Their their ambition is too small almost always, especially when they're coming from that sort of poor rundown. So the Claremont County is next to Hamilton County. That's Cincinnati's uh, County. Claremont's a little more country. It's outside of um the city and we, we actually I close on a house next Monday with uh, several. several yeah man it's been a journey um but uh, I've got barns and all sorts of stuff I'm so I'm so excited I can't wait I uh, can't wait to put in a I'm going to dig a pond this summer that's uh, what what I've been working towards but so we're starting a church because we want to reach those people also starting a church in a smaller denomination called DCREC. I used to be ordained in the largest reform denomination, Presbyterian denomination. And oh no, the largest reform denomination in America, the PCA. But I left it because it was being ravaged by feminism and wokeism. And I knew eventually they would try to kick me out or discipline me for just teaching the most basic biblical Christianity, boring stuff. It's good to be a man. It's good to be a woman. If you are in fact a male or if you're in fact a female and embrace that, live this out. Those, what sometimes people call natural or traditional roles are taught in scripture as well. And, um, I wanted to go somewhere where I was free to just teach what the Bible said and not look over my shoulder because a lot of times churches are ran kind of by a shadow government of, of elders wives (laughs) because those men don't, command authority in their house. And they're just ran by these women that when these women get offended, uh, you know, these guys come in and tell other elders what to do. And that's one reason I'm a bivocational pastor because no one can hold money over my head. I'm going to say what I want to say, uh, what I think scripture says. And if you don't like it, um, we can talk about it, but if it goes against scripture, you can leave and you can't, hold money over me, man. I have I have multiple streams of income. This is something I've been working towards anti-fragility, if you read like Nicholas Tlaib. So we wanted to start a church. At our church, all, all our pastors and elders are bivocational. They have to have two jobs. No one will ever be full-time at our church as long as I'm the pastor there. Myself included. Um, We wanted to start a church that could reach average people. So my preaching is uh, very accessible. I work my way through a text every, every week and I don't use insider language. Like this is some of the problems like with red pill, there's a huge barrier to entry to red pill. Cause you have to know, you know uh, what PUA means and average, what's the one average chump or whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, it's got all this insider language. And you're like, what are they talking about? And, um, and that's the barrier to entry. And Christianity is loaded down with theological terminology in insider language that no one really understands. So we, we wanted to start a church that could reach men and women A lot of churches, you have to uh, act like a woman, right? You come in, you sing these gay songs, these homoerotic, weird songs that I actually just wrote an email to a woman. She asked me what I thought about this worship music. And I went through and told her, showed her what the issue I saw with the lyrics. And she even said, yeah, I don't know if I'm singing to Jesus as my Lord or Jesus as my boyfriend. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) right, you are, ma'am, you know? yeah." And because a lot of it's like, oh, I want you to be inside me and all this stuff. And you're like, what, what, what am I singing right here? You know, and uh, our friend Tex, I was telling Tex about that and he can't help but to think about that every time he goes to church, <laughs> which it's kind of funny of all people, Tex. But um, nonetheless, uh, we wanted to start a church that could reach average man, that men would feel welcome, that the music's masculine, that, uh, that we don't punish men for wanting to be ambitious and go after things for the glory of God. We wanted to actually encourage that. And so that's, that's why we started East River. I mean, right, the, the real issue, too, is that churches in America are in bad shape. And if you think about it, in the business world, there are metrics, You have to demonstrate your value in the business world. I work in the business world and I have, I I have to hit a certain number of sales, you know, in, and so to have authority, to have respect, I have to perform. In the church world, it's interesting because one, it's very difficult to come up with a metric that shows you're doing a good job. A church could be really big because the guy's telling every, everyone what they want to hear, right? Yeah. And so it could actually be a demonstration of his lack of faithfulness, or it could be he's really faithful and God's blessing who knows. But a lot of guys can get into the pastorate and they go into the pastorate because it doesn't require, it doesn't, you don't have to earn it the same way. It's these real kind of beta male weak guys that want to exercise authority over other men. And we call them Barney Fifes You ever watch um, uh, the Andy Griffith show? Barney is like this weak guy and he's always put pointing at the badge and saying, respect me. Right. And he's, he doesn't, he doesn't even have a bullet in his gun because he's too dangerous. He only has one bullet. And then Andy's this guy that just by his sort of command presence his easy gravitas walks around or demands respect. But it's, so his presence demands respect. Whereas Barney is always like, look at the badge and you'll see a lot of guys like, Oh, you have to respect me. I'm your pastor. Well, one of the requirements in First Timothy 3 for a pastor is that he's respectable. It's much easier to respect someone when he's dignified and carries that weight in his life. So I think a lot of weak men that want to manipulate people and feel powerful and feel in control and feel like a man are drawn into the pastoral role. And so what you have a lot of times are guys that end up being tyrants. Weak men always end up being tyrants. Right. And so when you're a strong man, you're not insecure. So you're willing to give away authority with wisdom. And that's how you grow something. I mean, in FOE, I know you guys have your basically like platoon leaders or whatever. You guys have to give away uh, to manage it, to make sure people you have to multiply yourself. And the problem with um with insecure men is that they make themselves the focus because they're insecure and they need validation and they never give it away. So we wanted to create a church where you have to, be doing something in the real world you i look for men that aren't insecure i raise up other men i i I need the other three leaders in our church to get things done i just i can't do all of it. i can't sing i'm not i I can hold a tune okay right (laughs) i do a karaoke bar but you don't want to you don't want me leading worship every sunday but those are some of the things that are at play and we're trying to deal with the situation which is brassy feministic women uh and then weak white knight beta male pastors, right? That's Christianity in America. It's a, cha- it's, it's a chaotic time. And I'm I'm optimistic, but I'm only optimistic if men will talk less and do more.
0: You know, in, in that, and I appreciate it, that was an excellent breakdown. In it, two things really stood out to me. You know, the first is I deal a lot with family men. That, that's my primary demographic. That's who I'm speaking to most of the time because that's the life I'm living. You know, and you just nailed, you know, domineering versus dominant you know, using fear, you must obey me compared to, no, they want to follow you. They want to obey because you are embodying the values, which brings me to my second point. You're embodying two values that I think flies in the face of not just the church or, or faith, you know, based institutions, but also the country at large and possibly all of society across the globe, you know, and that is you, you people want freedom. They want the absolute ability to go and do their own thing. And you're saying, no, you must have a job, therefore you're not relying on this. You're not going to speak to what you think they want to hear because you want them to come in and pay you. But also you didn't position yourself as an expert. You said you were in a church and you're like, no, I need to learn more to to provide greater value. And you left. Those two things go in the face of what all of online social media is uh, promoting. And as well as, you know, I think TVs and movies as well. The media is saying, you go get it, girl. You know, you go get it. You know, go build your own thing. Or you're an expert. And we've got life coaches that are 19 years old or quote unquote influencers in their teenager. And you're like, wait, what do you do? You're not an influencer. You're not influencing a a, a damn thing. You're not helping anybody. You've not lived this, you know. And I'm wondering, you brought up mentors. Would you say it was mentors that put you in a position to where you were able to objectively assess yourself to this? Or was it something else that happened in your life?
1: I think. So it's funny, ambition brings humility, right? Because when you reach far, you're going to make mistakes and always bite off just a little bit more than you can chew, right? So a goal is something that's achievable with difficulty. And our, our problems a lot of times is that we only do what's easy, right? So there's no difficulty. So there's no growth, right? You have to, to grow, you have to put yourself in uncomfortable situations. But part of that growth is you, you start to realize your limits of what you have and you don't have it's the skills, the character that you lack, and you have to go back and, you know, get that stuff. And I was telling my wife, as we were preparing to, to launch this church, her church is only three months old right now. I was like, look, we got to get our spiritual life. We got, you know, you and I haven't been pastoring a church. Well, I haven't been pastoring a church. She hasn't. The, the pastor's wife has a lot of focus on her. But um, we, we've kind of been taking it easy for the last year. And now it's time to get in shape. So when you put, put yourself in that situation, you start to realize what you need. Um, and then that drives you to find men who are actually doing what you want to do. And so, it all kind of ties together. You have this vision, this goal, this thing that you imagine somewhere in the future, and you reach after it. And then as you reach after it, it's okay to fail. It's okay to stumble, right? Because then, but it's not okay to quit, right? So, you, when you stumble, then you're like, okay, I, I wasn't able to do that. Why? What do I need? Who is, who has done this? And then what you'll find is a lot of men are willing to mentor people who aren't jokes, right? And I always hear guys say, why won't anyone like mentor me? What did you ask? Well, no. A lot of times they don't actually ask first off. And I don't have time. I'm not like running around asking to mentor everybody. But if, if someone moves to my community and wants to get pastored and discipled, and I see them like, like one thing I hate is when you, someone asks you for counsel and you give them counsel and they tell you they're already doing all that. <laughs> they almost never are first off or they are doing a bad job. But the problem with a lot of young men is they're proud idiots and they think they have it figured out. And, and I'm like, well, let's look at your life. It sure seems like you're failing to me. And what I think that's your fault. And well, circumstances, circumstances. Look, bud, we all have circumstances, right? We're not, I'm not denying that those aren't a variable, but ultimately uh, you, you have to, the only part that that you should care about is the part that you have control over. And so I think for me getting to the point where I just couldn't answer all these questions, I was like, I need, I need to learn more. And so I I went and joined a church that I thought was healthy. And I went back to seminary. It wasn't just an issue either of knowledge. Knowledge is easy to get. We're talking about all these fake mentors. I watched them pop up on, on Twitter. You know, these guys that are geniuses, at reworking content that's been around for a long time you know uh what's that one guy uh tell your son this that guy he yes. i i see people take his stuff like he's a g i don't know anything about that guy's life i'm not critiquing him but i see a lot of people that are more or less are a riff on him and the, and you think like who <laughs> what who are you do you have a wife do you have kids like what do you do and then you see these guys eventually come out and do interviews and you're like oh that's who you are right <laughs> <laughs> unexpected <laughs> yeah and and we were talking I was talking to Jack Donovan about bronze age mindset out there last year at um at 21 and wanted to get his opinion on it cuz when it comes to the top of masculinity you know Jack is one of the big the big writers on it right um it was interesting. He said he hadn't read it and he, he made no critique at all. He just simply said that because it was under a pseudonym, he didn't want to read it. And the reason was that through the sort of Manosphere, Red Pill, whatever world we want to call this, a lot of frauds have come by, right? And they, they're really good at creating content and marketing and hyping themselves. But then you meet them and you're like, whoa, like you haven't mastered any of this, right? All I can learn from you is copywriting. I can't really learn how to be a man. And so I was at a point where I probably could have faked it pretty well, but I just knew it would catch me eventually and I wanted to go learn. And so I I think ambition drives you to go big, going big causes you to fail. Failing causes you, if you're humble, to seek help and then you can actually get over those hurdles.
0: Not only could I not agree more, but just to add on to that message. You know, I think a lot of people, when you talk about circumstances, they, they somewhat write off everything you went through to get to what they see. And that's why that, that, that fraud nature kind of creeps in. They, they see you now. They don't see you shooting BB guns at, you know, drunks in a bar. They see Michael Foster, successful, standing there, proud, confident, bring on the world. They see that. They're like, oh, I want to be like that. Without ever going through the crucible, you went through to become that man. And I think, uh, you know, for a lot of people... I really want to stress this. You know, your circumstances are what make, you shouldn't be hiding from the journey you went through. You know, the best thing I ever did last year was dropping the pen name, you know, but I had met people, I had gone through, so there was some legitimacy there, but still I was like, you know, why why not use my name? Like what was holding me back? And it was all bullshit. It was all some stuff I made up in my head where I thought, you know, that the world we're living in was going to come crashing down. Not a thing happened. You know, what would happen if you're sitting there instead of writing about, the man you think you should be, write about the man you are as you work towards becoming the man you want to be. I think a lot more people would resonate with that and the world, that would solve a lot of problems we're seeing with a lot of men.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. And I don't I don't want people to misunderstand me. I don't actually have a problem with pseudonyms, but I just will tell, uh, some people have, they have legitimate reasons to use them online. and But the thing is, I just don't care about you. I think Jack's attitude is right. I just don't care. Like I've learned, I mean, I'll read and I think, oh, that's interesting, but I don't know if you could teach me anything other than how to copyright and how to do Mockingbird stuff. And, <laughs> you know, and so you're down at 21, you get to meet people and you get the feel for the real life and where they're at. That's super important. And that's, that's what I really like about your guys' emphasis is that, and this is how I've become, I've become very aggressive on, like my favorite questions are, so what and what are you going to do about it? Right, people will say, "Well, have you seen what's going on at a national level?" And I say, "Like, yeah. So what? Um, isn't that crazy? Like, it's pretty crazy, man. But I. So what? Like, what what does this have to do with you? Well, you know, things might go real haywire, and what are you gonna do about it? You know, so it's just constantly calling men to action, to action, to like, to caring about um, what they're gonna do. And when I see in the Red Pill, I was thinking about this in the Red Pill. A lot of people have that red pill rage and they just they stall out and they never get out of it. They see the world. They just want to talk about the evil, the feminine imperative and how terrible the time it is and and the problems in family court and all that stuff. And, the, and many things which I agree with them on. But so what What are you going to do about it? you just going to die? You're going to go get a sex robot. Right. Start a YouTube channel. I mean, what are you going to what are you going to do, man? Like. You can sit there in misery in the ash heap of society, and you can tell yourself that you're going to enjoy the downgrade, whatever, right? I'm going to go do something. I'm going to go build something. And you can tell me how it's pointless or whatever, but the fact that you want to keep me from building tells me that you're defeated. That's what that tells me. And you hate that I'm doing something that you say can't be done. <laughs> and because it's it's exposing you for being a loser for giving up and that's the a lot of the problem i see in the manosphere isn't i i don't disagree with almost any of the major ideas i do disagree with how people react to it and so i think calling men to action ruling themselves so they can rule their family so they can have a bigger influence in their in the the broader culture whether it's just your, your, your block, your city, your County, whatever. Um, I think that's what I want to see coming out of the manosphere more. And certainly in the church, the church, like men don't know what to do. That's why they leave the church. It's not, be, they're just bored to tears. No one's uh, equipping them to go out and get things done. You know,
0: you're absolutely correct. You know, I call it a redundancy without progress. You know, it's great that you, you know, these words, it's great that you're aware of these things, but if you're just sitting there talking about them, but, What's the point of knowing it? That's why in every podcast, I'm like, it's cool that you're listening. I appreciate the support, but I don't want you to be a well-listened individual. You know, you read my blog. I don't want you to be a well-read man or woman. I want you to go out and be a better human being and go out and have a better life because of what was exchanged. This discussion here should lead to action, not just more intellectual you know, masturbation. It's great to look at it and feel good about all the things you know but your life isn't changing and you can come to me. Oh, you know, marriage and all these problems or, oh, you know, my wife and all these women, blah, blah, blah. I've got a great marriage. I've got great children. I'm having a great life and I'm in the same world as you. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Why, why am I able to do this? And you are not, maybe it's that shift in perspective. Maybe if you gave yourself permission to start living the life that you're aware will bring success, you can succeed. But with that comes work. And again, to your point, that's where it stalls out putting it into action, putting the, you know, that energy to use, you know, and I don't know if you've seen the meme of Leonardo DiCaprio where he's sitting on a couch and he's like pointing at the TV and he's like, oh, that was me. The first time I saw you type out county before country, you know, (laughs) I was like, yes, that's it right there. Could we talk about that conference and, and the message behind it? What stirred you to creating this?
1: Yeah, so County Before Country, Christ Above All is the tagline for our church. It's an easy way to capture the mission of our church. And uh, that Christ is our Lord. He's king of kings. Everyone's going to have to answer to him. Everyone's been predicting the church's death for 2000 years. And all those people that predicted that they themselves are dead and we're still going. Right. Rome, tried to crush us. Rome's not around anymore. Right. Hitler, whatever. doesn't matter. We keep on going. I like we're going to win. And so it's an optimistic but realistic vision. Like we don't as Christians, we've lost the culture war. It's just we've lost it. It's it's messed. Our government's messed up. All these things are real problems that people talk about, especially on kind of political Twitter and all that stuff. They go on and on. I agree. I don't have a problem, but I, I my vote matters
0: so little
1: like it just I, I vote every I've been voting every year since 2000. And, and I do it. But so are
0: an, you double voting? Because I remember that being a thing that you had to deal with for a while. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: My, my wife, my wife votes. When, she votes for whoever I tell her. Except, uh, funny enough, uh, she, I was going back and forth on whether I was going to vote for Trump in 2016 because I thought he was just a New York liberal and I didn't trust him. So I ended up voting for like some libertarian party. I can't remember, Darren Castle. Um, and then my wife thought we were still voting for Trump. So she voted for Trump in 2016 and I did it. But, every other election she just does whatever i tell her you know you Um, caught
0: so much flack and i was like this is amazing that's exactly how jackie and i operate same exact thing but i'm like yeah you catch all the heat that's (laughs) right
1: so um but our but our votes at a federal and national level matter very little you can call your senators and complain that's fine um but i wanted to look for a worthwhile and winnable hill so in cincinnati cincinnati's uh Metro area is about 1.2 million people. The the met uh, and then the urban area. Excuse me, the greater Cincinnati is 1.2 million, and then it's about 400, 500, 000 downtown. I just don't have the pool, the the cachet to make a big difference down there. I just don't. You know, I'm not there yet. I don't have any delusions. But if I move to a smaller county, uh, I think I could have influence relatively quickly. And and that's exactly what's happening, right? We're looking at getting on zoning boards. We're looking at getting people on uh, the local city councils, county commissioners. We're looking to get involved with the sheriff. And we can actually create... Uh, a real influence and direct things in that county. And so if a sheriff in a county basically tells the federal federal government, I'm not going to enforce that or tells the governor, I'm not going to enforce that, the governor and the president's kind of screwed. It's really hard for them because that's the way like laws don't matter if you can't enforce them. And the guy that you've hired to be an enforcer, been elected at least, is like, I'm not doing it. Then he's not doing it. Right. So one of the most powerful people in America is the sheriff in your county. And so if you if you get the right guy and sheriff and you build uh good uh relationships with them, then with a lot of these mask mandates, you're like, well, we're not doing anything about it. And that happened all across America. And when you go out to our little county, Claremont County, uh we don't we don't wear masks. Like we don't we I don't I don't have mask mandates in my um Uh, I don't have mask mandates in my church. We put mask and hand sanitizer, but check this out. Our church literally meets below the mayor's office in an armory, (laughs) right? We meet below uh, uh, the police department, right? And they're not enforcing the mandate. So neither are we, we, we put that stuff out there. If you want to wear a mask, if that's something you're concerned about, like, I don't want to argue about it. That's there for you. Um, but we wanted to get involved at a local level where we could actually change things. So uh, I want the non-Christians in our county to say, you know, I don't agree with those guys, but since they came, the economics, uh, the, the governance, all these things have gotten better. Like we're, we're looking to start businesses. We're looking up the, the buy, rundown buildings and fix them and put cool businesses in them that actually bring value. You want to have influence. Give someone a job right you'll you'll have a ton of influence and um, so the county before country idea is like hey what's we can do something here right now and so like what we we're talking about before we got on basically a man has to first learn how to rule himself and once he can rule himself then he can take care of his family he can rule a wife lead a wife rule a family i'm using the word rule to in a more uh, robust way, not in this sort of tyrannical way. But once you start taking care of your family, you realize that the county rules affect your family. And for you to continue to protect and provide for them, you've got to get involved. And so that's when you start getting involved in your HOA, you start getting involved in your chamber of uh, commerce, you start showing up to uh, uh, county Or uh, city hall or, excuse me, city administration meetings. For example, in uh, Batavia, uh, Little Town, that's the county seat. It only takes 140 votes to get elected to, to city council. 140 votes, man. You know, you could be directing your city, you could be uh, having uh, a lot of influence and leading people and shaping the world around you, the the blocks that your kids walk, the the stores that you want to shop, you could do that if you could get 140 people to believe in the vision and believe that you're the sort of leader that's willing to listen to the people, right? Think about that. That's not that hard, especially if they say, you know, he's got a nice wife, his kids are nice, his house is always clean, and he did start that business here, and that that employs my nephew, and my nephew really likes him. You start doing those things, people listen. And so, that's the whole vision. So, our church is purposely out there to create sanctuary, sanctuary for, first off, other Christians that are fleeing the compromise of feminism and egalitarianism, the compromise of the sort of woke racial obsession that's happening. We want those, like, I don't care if you're white or black. It means nothing to me. You know, I grew up in a biracial family. My uncle is black and he was like an older brother than me. and My grandmother's Jewish, you know, and I, I don't care about it and we don't care about it and we're not going to give anyone special treatment based on any of that stuff. That's in scripture. That's called the sin of partiality, favoritism based on something that has nothing to do with character. Okay. Um, So this is a sanctuary church for people that believe in Orthodox biblical Christianity. You're welcome to come and we'll love you. And you can participate and be part of this. Uh, But we're going to push you to live out your faith in the day to day and, and to be salt and light, to be uh, a benefit to, um, to your your community, and and we also want to create a a sanctuary city or a sanctuary county where all these stupid rules that are you know it's the administrative state, you know this the administrators just sit around to create rules to manage to, that's all they do and uh, people always talk about how the Bible is legalistic well go look at the Old Testament there's ten commandments and there's three hundred thirteen. Uh, case laws that are basically applications of it. 313, that's all the rules in the Old Testament. Then you go look at the IRS or you go look at zoning. I mean, it's incredible. There's entire shelves. Like <laughs> we, we want to keep things simple. Um, you know that as soon as they pass a tax, it's never going away. They don't go away. You can't ever like we vote against all levies. I don't even care. My wife's like, what should we vote for this levy or not? No, we vote against all of them. Well, it's only a fraction of a penny. This one is. And then Mm -hmm. the next one is the next one is the next one. No, like they can raise that money like we'll they can tell us why we should give our money and then we'll do it instead of them forcing us to do it. So we want to call people to get involved in the in their community so we can create sanctuary for people
0: you know in that i'm seeing a little bit of a journey i went on and i kind of want to bring it out there as an example and then sort of throw it your way to see what you think but when this whole first you know COVID, if you will happened i was like what the hell like this is ridiculous so they canceled the baseball season well i kept bringing the kids to train Somebody kept calling the cops. I was like, "This is this is insane!" Like you're calling. I'm literally teaching these kids baseball. There's, it's baseball. They're already spread out. Whatever. I then joined my town's engagement page on Facebook. I was never a part of it, but I was like, you know, I, I need to start paying attention. <clears throat> I recently recorded the podcast with Mike Cernovich, where we dove into family and politics and being aware of these things. That wasn't me. That was a misstep on my part. You know, I wasn't involved with the HOA. I wasn't involved with my, my town council. I wasn't involved with anything except for coaching little league baseball. And I didn't see an issue with that until this happened. I joined this engagement page and I realized my town had gone into a frenzy. The whole black lives matter thing was insane. We, we are, we are 95. I looked it up today, 95.8% Caucasian, you know, uh, upper middle class, you know, and the whole engagement page was focused on black lives matter, you know, uh, racial inequality, all, all these crazy issues that really didn't impact us at all. You know, I've coached Spanish, Black, every color kid you can think of. You know, we, we don't have any, I guess, my experience, the way I viewed it, there wasn't an issue in our population, our town. I was kicked, I was banned from the town page for saying that all lives matter and all government overreach and police brutality is, is unacceptable to the highest degree. And then uh, several dropped from the Little League board that I, w- I was on, because they said I was a racist because they used the term black people. And I was like, whoa, does, does Africa have a like exclusive license to, to all people who are not white, like all black people. I, my roommate in uh, a school when I was in the military was Haitian. And I, one time I told him, I was like, Oh, that's because you're African-American trying to be PC. And he lit my ass up. He's yeah, like, man, I he am did, not yeah. African. He's like, I am from Haiti. He's like, I am proud. He went off. He's like, don't you ever say that again? He's like, I don't call you. You know, uh, Scottish, European. I don't call you English. I call you American. He's like, I'm an American. He's like, just, I'm a black dude. Just say black until you find out where I'm from and then do that. I'm like, all right, cool. And these people started virtue signaling Zach's a racist because he said black. I was like, this is insane. We got to this level because I had no clue in the very beginning that it was even happening. If it was a little seed sprouting, I probably could have cut it, but it was already an oak by the time I came across it to where I was like, I was so outnumbered. I was so. Ill positioned to take on this enemy that I was out. My voice was silenced. You know, I was just disregarded. You know, and to you, I I think, and this is what I want to throw your way I think people will listen to this podcast and they'll see the wokeism in their church. They'll see, you know, the things that are going on and they might turn to, well, how can I be more like what you're doing? Maybe they don't want a church. Maybe they're a full time dad with a family. How can they either support what it is you're doing or how can they replicate it in their own community?
1: Yeah. I mean, the the first thing is just start, right? So I started this podcast that's going to be with Canon Press uh, exclusively, called County Before Country. And each episode, I put a couple episodes up on my Facebook page. They're like five minutes long. And I did it on purpose because I wanted it to be that simple. It's like, like, look, I'm going to tell you one thing and now go do it. Let's just go do it. So one is, do you know your neighbors? Get to know your neighbors. That's a great place to start. You know, just actually, what are they about? How how can, have you had them over for dinner? Um, Have you thought about doing a block party? Have you started, listen to what they're concerned about, you know, have some influence with those people, start showing up to your city council meetings, show up a little bit, find out who these folks are, like, what, what are they about? What makes them tick? What's their big issues? Uh, And, and don't, don't, you can't trust party, right? Party means nothing. It's like denominations right now. You can't trust denominations. Uh, You, you have to go discern. So you have to actually go listen to these people and see what they're doing. There's a lot of Republicans right now that are just Democrats. That's all they are. And every once in a while, you get a Democrat that says things you kind of agree with, like Tulsi Gabbard. Um, I don't agree with a lot of the things she says, but every once in a while, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Why are we blowing up people all the time? Why are we starting wars? Like, we got our own problems, man. Like, let Syria blow up Syria. You know, like, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. Um, But... You have to go to those uh, city council meetings and and listen, and then as you learn, uh, then you can start to run or get more involved. I mean, if you cause, here's here's what you need to realize about most city councils, especially if they're a small city, um, is that they hate conflict, and if you just put a little bit of pressure on them, they'll cave, right? Like use cancel culture to your advantage. I remember when I I, <laughs> I, blew up onto Twitter because I did this tweet about how I counsel men to be very careful about marrying sing- single mothers, right? And I got like 13,000 comments, like I got ratioed hardcore. And uh, it was uh, Rand Paul's like advisor was on there, USA Today was on there, a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of conservatives talking about how I hate women. It was just stupid. But what made them all the most mad is I refused to apologize. I refused to delete. And I actually refused to even clarify. I didn't care. I don't care. You can't cancel me. They all tried to get me fired from my job. They all, I, I still have like 3,000 DMs I never even responded to, right? <laughs> and I just didn't have time, whatever. But um, once once those people Realize that you, their screeching doesn't matter to you. <laughs> then you like you get a little you get some swagger in your step. If you go to city council and realize most of those people have a spaghetti for spines that you can push them. And then if you get on city council though, um, and this is a great story is Thomas Massey. Thomas Massey is this uh, representative in Kentucky. He was trying to build a house. He's like a millionaire. And Thomas Massey uh, wanted to build it a certain way. And there was all this stupid rules from the zoning commission or whatever. So Thomas Massey shows up at this council meeting to argue with them about it. And everyone gives him, he was so well-spoken, they give him his five minutes, uh, their five minutes. And so he ends up just taking them to task. And that's how he got involved in local politics because he wanted to build his house his way. And so step one is show up. That's like so much, right? You, you did athletics. I did athletics. I wrestled played football, ran cross country, all that sort of stuff. Half the battle is just show up and try, learn, put yourself out there. So start with your neighbors, start, go to city council meetings, uh, look for a way to have a business uh, in your local community that actually brings value or have an office Right. Um, There's a a great benefit in being able to work remote, but also you uh, can have an office space that you bring clients to look for a way that you can do that. There's all sorts of ways to get involved, but just bring value, get involved, take the first steps and then who knows where it will go. Find the the area you're good at. Some of us aren't cut out for um, for politics. I'm not cut out for politics. I'm not I'm not patient enough right? Like I can get up there and deliver a speech and all that sort of stuff. But some of the leaders at our church are running for it and they're much more patient than I am. And I'm glad for that. I don't want to do it, but I will. Um, I'm, I'm opening a sales office right now. I asked for permission to get uh, from my company I work for, my um, day job to uh, start a sales office. And so they said, yeah, you can bring some people. So I'm going to have a sales office in Batavia just because I want to. Um, I want to say like, look, um, I, have, I bring money into this community and I, I bring value. And so we're looking for ways to do that and just start small, be steady, snowball it, build it. Who knows, man? Maybe you'll be governor, right? And then you can actually t- uh, tell these presidents to go, you know, stick it. And, but start right next door.
0: I mean, and this to spin that back to County Before Country or, you know, the, the message of starting with yourself, then your family, then your community and growing from the micro to the macro, you know, with County Before Country, is that going to be a live event? Is that going to be a recorded event? You know, for people who aren't in geographical proximity to it, you know, will they have access to the speakers, the content, yeah. what it is you're building?
1: Absolutely. So uh, we're doing the conference. It's, it's been crazy. I've taken a few gambles and they've all paid off. I looked at Claremont County. I said, everyone's sleeping on this. And I, and so I started to recruit a team and God's just brought together the right people. But in the last year, uh, Perina put a new factory. It's going to hire 300 people into our county. We just found out that a $35 million upscale uh apartment complexes going in our county and then I got an email from a guy that said hey I looked all over the midwest and ended up settling on New Richmond Ohio little city that doesn't matter 15 minutes from Batavia and we're gonna open up a Christian college there I'm like wow I was like well I'm doing a conference I'd like to host it at that college you know and uh and so that's in play and we're watching like everyone it was just the right I was at the right place at the right time I always tell my wife that I'm not the uh, the early adopter, but I'm always the early majority. I'm like the beginning of the wave right before it takes off. And so I got out there in time. So we're going to host, uh, we're going to have this conference every year. It's going to be our church's fall conference. Uh, we'll do it usually in September because as you know, October is pretty busy for us. Um, but, um, then uh, we're going to have, it's going to be live. I think we'll probably have about 250, 350 seats available. It's going to have uh, main sessions and breakouts and we're going to record everything and everything will be put online. I think um, we're not going to stream it because I don't want to, I just don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. What we're going to do is we're just going to record everything and then I'm just going to give it all away free. I don't care. Um, I um, will charge for the conference. So if you, if you're that cheap, You can wait till we give it away free. But the reason I'm giving away free is uh, when I started my podcast, my hope was that we would inspire other people to start their podcasts. Um, Because there wasn't any good Christian masculinity podcast out there at all. I I discovered you and Craig early on and your podcast wasn't explicitly uh, Christian and Craig's at that time was kind of, he was taking a break, right? Um, So I was like, man, there's nothing out there. But what I had always hoped is that we would provoke other people. And I see a lot of people that are repackaging my content, but I don't care, dude. I don't care. I just want to change things, right? Like this isn't how I make, it's one way I make money, but it's like a real minor what I hope with county before country is I don't care if other people steal it. I mean, I own the URL (laughs) and I coined it, but um, I rather just see it spread. So, we want to give it away. We want to see people uh, make life hell for, for these tyrants, for these overreachers, for these Karens. We live in a Karen Barney Fife culture. That's what we live in. It's a bunch of Karens that like people reporting, it's just they want to feel like they have power, reporting you to the cops when you're trying to teach kids how to play baseball. Um, that's crazy. So we want to get that content out there. We want to make it difficult for those sort of people. We, if there's just so many of us, what are they going to do? If none of us say those are stupid rules, those are executive orders, we didn't vote for that. We're not doing it. If the whole country starts to say, screw it, what are they going to They're going to do nothing. This is our country, and the way we take it back is by getting involved at a local level. And this is, and I know, uh, I know that it's not perfect. I know that at some point there might be a clash, like at a large level. But, but I'm not, I'm not loading up on guns and bullets right now and trying to go take on the government. They'll just kill me with the drone. I don't know what people are talking about. All well, these people seem to think that they can do civil war, and I think you're, you're fat, you don't know how to use a gun. Even if you do know how to use a gun, you don't know how to rule yourself. And these people, oh, I'm going to go hide out in Montana. Hide. Hide from how? They can see everything. They hear everything. They have drones everywhere. All we can do is put down roots and stand and say, no, no, I'm not going anywhere. And get to a place where we have actual authority and influence so that's my hope I, I want to raise up a bunch of people that say no this is our county we rule ourselves here you're not my boss you know um, I didn't vote for you or whatever and make make them work for it so yeah that's kind of a rant but nonetheless um, uh, we will share everything uh, on on that uh, conference uh, like a couple of weeks after we get it out I'll do it an Anthony Johnson roll I'll do a slow
0: roll there you go. The drip feed yeah. coming back. Yeah. I remember when you first dropped that, you know, I, I think I boosted it to Twitter and I had to give you the the shout out. So I had to like tag your name. I'm like, that is so good. Like, I wish I th- that was such a good, like <laughs> yeah. three words, but it's like, man, the, the punch that that thing packs is yeah. just incredible. And it's, it's, it goes so far and so deep. And I hope that people understand again, that don't just listen, you know, don't be the guy you were just talking about. Oh, I'm going to run and hide in civil war and Man, like ninety percent of the people I saw talking about sticking it to the government, civil war, rise up, seventeen seventy six, deleted all the tweets, deleted all the posts, deleted the blog posts, locked their accounts. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, what happened? You had so much rebellious nature, and all of a sudden, it was time to go. And you're like, oh no, I'm out. Or they, oh or God. they lost their accounts. I saw a lot
1: of a lot of my friends that are talking that way on Twitter got their accounts um, suspended, um, and then they're like, oh, I've lost my account and all this stuff, you know. Um, and I was thinking like, well, yeah, yeah, you did. What
0: did you think was going to (laughs) happen?
1: I mean, so I, I, I won't lie. I went back through my Twitter and I deleted all references to almost all references to a bunch of keywords. And the reason I did it isn't because I'm scared. I just knew bots. They would have a bot run through and find keywords and suspend accounts. I'm not going to make it easy for people to cancel me. Like if they, if someone thinks that's not having principles, like, well, I have an account and you don't. So, Um, but uh, (laughs) you know, what do you want me to say? I'm trying to reach people and get something going because I know eventually I'm going to get canceled on Twitter. Uh, Maybe, maybe they cancel so many people. Twitter gets so boring that they realize they have to stop doing it. I don't know. And maybe some of us survive this. I've seen people like Jeff Putnam. He he continues to grow during this. I've- I've, I'm stalled. I, you know, maybe I've just been lame the last couple of uh, months, but, um, but yeah, I think these guys that talked about, uh, talked a good game. A lot of them, he's just like, what are you actually doing in your, your life?
0: You know, so. You know, to bring it to something we're do- you're doing that we haven't talked about yet. Could you break down or better clarify what it's good to be a man is? You know, you're the managing director. I checked out the website. I, I dig the layout of having the blogs there and being able to get all the content on the left hand side. It's a great site. There is a link below for everybody watching or listening to this, but it's good to be a man. And then maybe segue that into why it inspired you to write the book. So what, what happened? uh, So I've been into sexuality for a long
1: time. Uh, it's just been an area that I like to read ever since I was a freshman in college. And I, I'm interested in why men are the way they are, and women are the way they are, and the intersexual dynamics and the history behind it. And so I've been involved in that kind of world for a long time. And I've hated feminism my whole life because it's unnatural and terrible. So, uh, but what it's good to be a man came from was I, I I'm 40, I'll be 41 in March I'm the last of a generation. I married my high school sweetheart and uh, we've been together, I mean, since 99, you know, and uh, we've been together the majority of our life at this point. And we met at a Bible study far away. I had to drive across. I was so poor. I had to drive across the river to make a long distance phone call from Kentucky to Ohio. I lived in Indiana. She lived in Ohio. Kentucky was between us. So I could go and call her Kentucky and it wasn't long distance because of some rule. And that's how we talked. I didn't have a phone at my house. So, um, and I, that's how we got to know each other. I wrote her. Uh, back then, if you wanted porn, you had to go get it on your uncle's, didn't she? VHS, right? And, uh, or, or go get a magazine or something. There wasn't, there. you weren't getting high def porn you know, and there wasn't social media. So it was just a, I noticed within a couple years of AIM, instant messenger coming out and, and everyone having their own cell phones that my friend's little sisters were way more sexual than their older sisters. Like there was just a huge shift. And it seems like that shift in sexual dynamics, which had been building for a long time, jumped forward right in the early 2000s and then it got really bad with the cell phone uh, like the smartphone and this you have high def porn you have all these uh, women that are able to get uh praise like you have these women that are clearly unhealthy and are going to die because they're very very fat they're obese and yet people are like oh you're so beautiful like well you might be a sweet girl and all but this is not good you know and they're being uh, puffed up with vanity
0: even though this is not beautiful. This is- People are pocket. cheerleading them driving into a brick wall. Like, That's right. Keep going. Like, no, take a left or a right. So all these things start to shift.
1: And I was alive during the shift, the move from analog to digital, the move from real world relationships to networking via social media. <clears throat> and I was enough to see that know both worlds. Uh, I think the problem is that with a lot of older pastors, um, baby boomers in particular, they do not understand what has been lost. They lived in a world where I remember once I was talking to Rolo Tomasi on the cell phone a long time ago, and I told him that I thought everything in his first book was present in the cumulative wisdom of a 1920s bar. Right, like people, it's just this is normal stuff. Yep. This is stuff that people knew, and it got lost, and so that stuff is gone. And the boomers think it's still around. Like, oh, guys, you know what's wrong with these millennials? They don't know how to like do eye contact and shake hands. You're, you're their dad. You're, it's you, man. Like this world came from you. What are you talking about? Well, well, it's just you just learn those things naturally. No, you didn't. You learned that from your dad, but you failed to pass it on. So I started to realize that what these young men were dealing with, they're just a few years younger than me, was very different. Like my wife didn't know how beautiful she was. She had no clue. Right, because she didn't have all these people praising all the time. I have a very uh, beautiful wife, and I am thankful that she was humble when I met her, and we met each other at the height of our life. But relationships like mine are very rare nowadays, and I recognize that. And I recognize that I I wasn't um, I wasn't addicted to porn. Uh, I didn't play video games all the time because, you know, those old video games you play Golden Golden Eye with a bunch of friends for like four hours, but then like. You kind of got to go do something else. Where now these people are disappearing into these online things because it's it's hacking their dopamine, it's hacking their neurology. So I wanted to create a podcast that was actually giving advice, biblical advice and counsel that uh, resonated with the struggles that these men were facing. Where all these pastors are telling, I'm like, I see all these good women, and I'm like, dude, these chicks are sleeping with anywhere from seven to 14 guys by their mid twenties pastor. Well, those, those good Christian girls. Yes. Yes. Many of them are. They, they absolutely are. Um, and and you, and they're just, you're a dumb white knight. That's not able to see it. These guys (laughs) don't want to marry those girls or those girls are coming all jacked up you know, you see it in their eyes, like, well, there's a name for it that I'm not going to say, but it's a type of stare that certain women have. And you're like, yeah, that she's been, she's been passed around. She's kind of broken. And these guys are being told just to marry her. Right. And you're like, well, no, I don't think you should. But then how do you find a girl in a situation like this? How do you, you know, that's why we created It's Good to Be a Man It was to take traditional old school biblical doctrine of patriarchy and apply it to the world we live in right now and to help these guys. And then it, it grew from this little project to, a, a, you know, I think we get like 50,000 downloads a month or something. I don't know how many it is. It's, it's pretty significant for a little Christian podcast, but, um, and then with the book, we're actually writing a trilogy of books, but uh, we're finishing the manuscript for the first book, It's Good to Be a Man, and then It's Good to Be a Husband, and It's Good to Be a Father, or the, the two follow-ups. Uh, that goes to the publisher next week, but we, we just want to help guys um, to, to go out there and do it. And step one is getting them to know that your masculine identity, your maleness is a gift from God. Embrace it. Go get it. Here's how you do it. And the main thing we focus on, is guys taking responsibility for themselves and developing a mission. We always tell people mission first, not women. Don't, women don't want to be on a pedestal. They don't. They just want, women want a man that's worthy of their love, right? That's what they're looking for. And so I focus on building gravitas and moving. And that's what the whole thing's been about. And where we'll go from here, I don't know. Um, it's, it got me opportunities like speaking at 21 convention and uh, being on this podcast. And it's been, been a fun ride.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not slowing down, you know, from somebody on the outside looking in, I I love the content coming across, especially on Facebook. You know, I see a lot like Twitter. It's just like a a train flying by. You kind of see inside certain windows and that's it, but on Facebook, it's a little bit slower for me. And I get to see all the stuff that's going on and it's, it's fantastic to see the real world impact. You know, and I think that's something that some men miss, but because of the fraternity of excellence, that's, always been like my hyper focus. Like I want to see you with your kids getting better, you with your wife getting better, you recovering from divorce, you know, building yourself up, whatever it is in the real world, not online, you know, and through you, you know, I see when you share the video of you being at mass or or doing what it is you're doing. I'm like, yeah, like get it (laughs) real world stuff. These real lives, real men, real women. It's great to see improvement. And I think that fuels me to, I don't really get that, you know, nihilistic view as to what's going on. I'm like, no, like we can build this up. Like you guys need to stop staring into the abyss, you know, start looking at the light. If you want to see some light, they're just hyper-focused on mayhem and trauma and chaos. Amen, man. Yeah. And I, you know, I,
1: I'm sympathetic to what they, they say, but at some point you just got to decide if you're going to wallow in the ashes your whole life or actually do something about it.
0: Exactly. Now, for those who want to reach out, like I said, they want to support what you're doing. They want to find your work. What's the best way for them to contact you?
1: Um, if you go to my my Twitter which is this is foster, I have a pin post, you can find my my email there, you can email me. And uh, I'm also on Gab uh, at this is foster. You go to it's good to be a man.com and if you look up it's good to be a man on really any podcast directory we're on at it, iTunes, Spotify, Amazon, etc. So those are all different ways you can get our content and and reach out.
0: Awesome. I like the consistency there. <laughs> Michael, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for what it is you're doing for men and families. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. For everybody who tuned in, again, don't just listen, apply the information exchanged, use it to improve your life. You know, that's what this is all about. So this has been another episode on the Family Alpha podcast. I wish you well. Thanks for listening.
1: You can join our private men's only community at the fraternity of And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Zach Small underscore.